Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And so today we're continuing on on our Christmas Advent series where we're kind of looking at the four traditional themes uh, that when we celebrate Advent, which is uh, hope, peace, joy, and then there is love. And so we're taking a look at each one of those, moving us towards Christmas Eve. And so today I'm going to talk about the Advent of joy, the Advent of joy. So do me a favor. I know you're turning there, but let me pray as you're turning so you can keep turning if you want. I know your focus is on the prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, teach us about joy today. Amen. Okay. So now I realize this, that the, 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 the topic or the subject of joy can be a kind of a challenging subject. Um, for some of us today, because, you know, we've encountered, uh, we have been challenged, right? Really, all of us have been challenged in some way, kind of with this, you know, um, this whole pandemic thing, the thing that's kind of, is it on, is it off, is it on, is it off? You know, now they're talking about all oh, this and that or whatever. And then also at the same time, anxiety and depression is kind of on, on the rise, it's increasing. And so, when you pull all that stuff together, and then maybe even if the stuff I forgot, or maybe you want to even sprinkle on the fact there's a little bit of uh, political polarization going on, right? Or uh, kind of even social instability. Um, it gets really tough sometimes to walk in joy because our environment is not very um, hospitable at the moment for happiness or for joy. Yet in this Advent season... We are kind of um, trying to tap into the fact that we are to be um, anticipating, right? We're anticipating Jesus. We're anticipating uh, different areas of our life, anticipating hope, anticipating um, peace. I forgot which ones I've already covered. And, And today we're trying to anticipate that hope would be a part of our lives as well. And so um, we're going to get into this story, and there's this moment that we read about that are about these shepherds, right, who are tending to their flock. They're kind of just minding their own business. And if you remember a little bit from last week, uh, business was not very good for those who were Hebrews at the time because they were, you know, under living under Roman occupied, they were in a Roman occupied colony. And so there was this oppression going on. And, 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 and it was not really great either for Hebrew shepherds because the, the thought about those people were they were considered the lowest on the rung of, a, of the social ladder, shepherds were. And so these guys did not have the good life going on in their life. They wouldn't, you know that little sticker that people put on their, um, on their car in the back when you drive up and they got this sticker and it says, the good life. Well, I don't think the shepherds had that on their cane or they plastered it on the back of their their sheep. They they were in a, a, you know, situation to where they were oppressed, but they were looked at as though they were on the lowest part of the social ladder. And so in the middle of this evening, this, this nighttime, we see this angel show up. 
And he makes these, this announcement to the shepherds. And when you, and we'll get to where we're going with this in just a second, but when you put it all together, knowing where they are from, where they, where they lived, what their experiences and circumstances were up to this point, and how probably they had felt because they weren't very, you know, high up on the ladder, we can understand the power of this announcement to them. So in Luke chapter 2, verse number 8, it reads this way. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, stop for a second. Did you hear what he said? The angel. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, to, to better understand what, I, what, what, we, what he said, let's look at this, this phrase, great joy. Because great joy is like a, a pretty awesome, awesome little phrase here in the Greek language. The Greek word for great used here is megas. Say megas. Okay? And it means exactly what it means. Mega. Right? Mega. So the angel is bringing good news of not just joy, not just regular common joy, not just something where, you know, we sum up joy. No, he's bringing mega joy. Right? He's bringing Costco, Sam's Club type joy. That's what, that's what he's saying. Hey, God, understand that you will go when you find this baby, you will find him lying in a major, but you know what? He is the bearer of mega joy. And then it goes on to say, it's not just for certain people. The angel said it was for all people. All people. That's, I mean, to me, when I hear that, and then I know the plight of where the shepherds were and where some of the Hebrew people were at the time, to me, that is just exciting, life-changing news for them to hear that. Because you know what? They lived in this society that was filled with uh, social barriers and, and defined by class struggles. And when the angel says this, man, it meant everything to them. It meant every single thing because you know what? For those people, they didn't have the opportunity to be included in all people. So this mega joy for all, right? This mega joy for the masses had them included in the angel's declaration. And it wasn't just them. It was us as well. See, it carries over to us as well. We have an opportunity because of our faith in Christ, because who Jesus is, we have an opportunity to live, listen, in mega joy. Right? And we'll, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit as we go here. But, but it, it kind of, you know, uh, to me, explains why the heck the, the shepherds left their sheep and went running. When did you go find this Savior? I, I don't know if somebody stayed behind to watch, hey, hey, okay, we're drawing sticks, you know, or whatever. 
or we're doing, you know, paper, rock, scissors. You're going to have to say, sorry, we're going to go see the Messiah. We don't know what happened there. But they, it seemed like they all came and wanted to witness this child who was bringing mega joy. So when the angel says this, then you, we can kind of expand it a little bit further in the fact that, you know what, there is a joy that you and I can have now, right? He's telling that to the shepherds. He's telling that to us as we read Scripture because the Bible's talking to us, right? God's always talking to us. And if we say, hey, I don't hear anything, I don't know what he's saying, open your Bible because he'll talk to us. But what the angel is trying to say is that, you know what? There is a joy that you can have now no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are, there is joy that you can have, regardless of how rough of a year it's been. There is joy that you can have, regardless of how disappointed you are, regardless of how unmet expectations haven't happened yet in our life. There is a joy made available to you through the birth of this child. His existence, his entrance into this world means that you can have joy. Say joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can have joy. And again, it's not a small amount of joy. It's supposed to be mega joy. Maybe you walk out of here today and just go, man, I, I, teach me how to get mega joy. I want mega joy. I want mega joy. Right? But it's supposed to be mega joy. A lot of joy. But here's the thing about joy. It's elusive. You can lose it, can't you? Right? You can kind of even maybe misunderstand it or forget where it's found. But we, because we think of joy as just being happy. If I'm just happy, then therefore I have joy. But here's the thing. Happiness and joy are slightly different. Okay? Happiness is an emotion or a feeling that is based on the fruit of an outcome of circumstances, right? If my circumstances are great, my circumstances are good, then you know what? I'm, I'm happy, right? I'm happy about that. This is great. I'm, I'm excited about that, okay? But when it comes to joy, joy is gratitude that is based on a spiritual perspective or root we'll say a root that's in the ground that you have personally planted and chosen to water every day, okay? It's a, based on a spiritual perspective. And when we have that, then it create, it'll create happiness, but it'll be more powerful than happiness, right? Because happiness kind of ebbs and flows, just kind of go, hey, I'm happy today, I'm sad today. I'm happy today, the next day I'm sad today. Or I'm going through this and I'm going through that struggle. Whereas joy should be a foundational piece in our life. Because Jesus came. Right? The, 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 the promise of, of mega joy in our life should be something that we find in the foundation of who Jesus is. Think about it this way. See, if, if we had a bunch of helium balloons here, right? And the helium represented our happiness. 
If we left him here overnight or over the next couple of days or we come back next week, those balloons would sag to the ground, wouldn't they? Right, because the happiness or the helium kind of escapes. And, it, and all of a sudden it loses its you know, ability to keep it going. Well, that's the same thing when it comes to our happiness. It's elusive. It just kind of like leaks out. But see, God is all about your happiness. But happiness is not something you can depend on. In that definition that I said about the emotional aspect of it, right? Because, you know, if you're basing your joy on, on, on emotional stuff, right, that train is not going to lead you into happiness 24-7. Because it's going to take dips into the valley. It's going to take moves over this way, moves over that way. So this joy is different, okay? Joy is the, uh, the Greek word uh, is... Uh, Kara, okay, which is derived from the Greek word charis. And charis is the Greek word for grace, okay? And that, to me, is important to note, for it tells us, us category, categorically that kara, right, joy, is produced by charis, the grace of God, right? And we know the grace of God is God's unmerited favor, God's unmerited love towards us. We, you're getting stuff we don't deserve. But think about that joy. It is connected to grace. Therefore, if I'm aware of grace, the grace of God in my life, it'll produce a sense of gratitude, which results in joy. The, the, the spiritual perspective of joy. And the more grace grows, the more mega joy flows into our lives, right? It leads us to a more permanent and permeating joy in one's life. And joy in the New Testament is virtually always to signify kind of a feeling of, of happiness in a way. But it, but it signifies that it is based on a spiritual reality and is independent of what is happening. Okay? In the New Testament, it's independent of what is happening. It's not based on circumstances. This is why the Apostle Paul could say this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. In the New Living Translation, it says, Always be full of joy in the Lord I say it again, rejoice, okay? Which basically means to me then, there is a kind of joy that transcends circumstances and outcomes. There is a, a joy that transcends circumstances or outcomes, right? Which, which, which in that passage, I, I believe then that Paul is inviting every single one of us, every single believer to experience, to walk in. Now, at the time of this writing, you've got to think about Paul's life. He, he's writing, he's in a Roman prison. And he's writing kind of with this knowledge that in one to 24 months, 
He's going to be killed for his faith. He's been beat up for his faith. Yet, he's writing to the Philippians to say, hey guys, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Man, why would this guy be rejoicing? If you think about it, he's in a Roman prison. He's been beat up and he's about to die. Most of us would be like, yeah, I ain't rejoicing. I ain't even going near that. I'm actually kind of, you know, feeling whatever I'm feeling. But here's Paul. He says that because he's approaching this with an attitude of faith, but he's also approaching it, and you know what? My circumstances don't dictate my attitude of gratitude. Okay? He then goes on and writes in uh, verse 6. He says, don't fret or worry. This is in the message version. Don't fret or worry. What? Here he is. He's in prison. How many would just kind of be like fret and worrying? I'm raising my hand. I'm just letting you know, right? So I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well, just so you know. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petition and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. I love that. Right? We tend to just kind of freak. And we don't say, hey, well, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me get back to this and let me talk to God about it. Let me kind of start praising God about it. Let me just say, hey, all right, Lord, you're in control. You got it, whatever. He says when we start to do that, then you know everything comes together for good. Right? You know, that's scripture. All things work together for good. To them who love the Lord and called according to his purpose. Okay? It doesn't say every single thing is good. It just says all things work together for good. And then he goes on to say this. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. He's talking from a prison. Summing it all up, friends. I say to you, I say, wait, let's see. Friends, I'd, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on the things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst. Now, this is key. Think about it. Okay? When, it, when we're trying to develop a, a culture of joy within inside of us, the one that, that Jesus has come to bring it to us and give it to us, right? We've got to begin to think about this, right? He's saying, you know what, hey, all of these things start meditating on or thinking about these things, what are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. And then it says, the best. Think about the best, not the worst. Because our mind automatically thinks the worst. It says then, the beautiful and not the ugly. The things, things to praise and not things to curse. And then he says, put it into practice what you have learned from me, what you have heard and saw and realized. Do that, and God, who makes everything work together, right? That's kind of that grace factor, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. I love that phrase. 
into, into his most excellent harmonies. See, I think God's a singer, right? And, 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 I, and if I remember, I think in Scripture, it talks about how he sings over us. You know, he dances over us. So what he's doing, he's singing over you, but he's moving you into position so that that you'll understand that he is in control and that he'll get all the praise and glory. That it won't be something that we're thinking the worst about. It's not something that we're thinking the ugly about. It's not something that we're cursing about. It's not something that we're just kind of like, ah, no, actually, because we're in his presence, we're in this, this attitude that we're working on, we see God moving, and that gives us joy. Even in the midst of all the stuff going on, right? But Okay, so then you might think, well, wait a minute, Pastor God. You don't really know my circumstances, right? You, I, you know, you, you don't know, right? I, how I, you know, I know I'm supposed to be joyful, but you know what? I would be if I could be, but my story is different. But here Paul is saying, I do know your story. I know that the root of gratitude and joy and the grace of God works even in a Roman prison. Right? It works even in a Roman prison. It works even when you know you only have a month to 24 months away from losing your life. So the question is, does does your life compare to his? Because he can find joy being in a Roman prison. He can find joy knowing that, man, I've only got maybe at best two years to live. Yet he finds joy. And then you know what? I'm upset because my stupid, sorry, that was probably a wrong word, but my lights don't work on the thing I hung outside on the tree when it worked originally. And here I am, bitter, angry, upset, mad, or whatever. But you know what? I'm not counting it all joy, am I? Because I get petty. But see, Paul's trying to just say, hey, so how, does your, how do you compare, Scott? How do you compare, Pastor Scott, in, in the midst of all the circumstances and trials? Do you find joy because your, your focus is not on your circumstance? Your focus is on him. The one who, who gives it. He goes on to say in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, he says this, I'm glad, right? Or that's that exceeding joy. I'm glad in God. Far happier than you ever guess. Happy that, it, that you're again showing such strong concern for me. Not that you ever quit praying and thinking about me. You just had no chance to show it. Actually, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much. With much as with little. And then he says this I, I, in, in this portion. I found the recipe. Okay, In some translation it says I found the secret. Now, the secret is not going to be a secret anymore because he's going to tell us what it is. But then, again, it shows us that there's a difference between pursuing happiness and finding joy. And, and here's the thing. You can't naturally process the difference between happiness and joy, 
right? Until you get a revelation and help with the Holy Spirit, his assistance in that process. But this is what he says. He says, I found the recipe or the secret for being happy, right? It's not that don't worry, be happy. You know, it's not, I think of what, Bobby McFerrin or something like that. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. It's not just that. He says, but I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, okay? So he's saying, hey, I, yeah, I can either, I, I've, I've done it all. But then he says this, here, here it is. Here, here's the recipe, here's the secret. Whatever I have, whether I am, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Now we know this as a scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, right? I mean, you see athletes, they'll put, they'll put it under you know, their eye thing or whatever, or they got it on their shoes and all, all that stuff. But, but he, there's the secret. But notice, it's not coming out of the power of positive thinking. Okay? It's not coming out of the power of positive thinking. It's coming from the power of positive rooting. Okay? I, I, I mean, it's not just, you know, oh, I will just think positive thoughts and be more joyful. Right? How many of you have ever tried that? I'm just going to think positive thought. I'm going to think positive thought. I'm going to think. And, right, and you're right back to where you found yourself. Right? It's, it, it's hard. Like the helium balloon, it deflates out of you very, very quickly. Right? Instead, it's coming from someone who um, you know, says, hey, listen, man, I, I have been locked up in prison. I have been beat up for my faith. I have faced death yet I still have joy. And the reason why is God allows him and us, right, if, if our, our minds are set, to experience through Christ the root, the strength that we need, that I need, no matter what is going on. Again, Paul's life. You know, you think about it, he's been shipwrecked at one point. He got bit by a snake you know, at one point, he's, he was stoned to the point where they thought maybe he had died. And maybe he did. I mean, he had all kinds of things, yet even in, in the midst of all the struggle, he's saying, man, I know the secret. I know the recipe to this. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. So Paul still has joy in all of his troubles, right? And here's the thing. His troubles are not easy. His troubles, maybe knowing he doesn't even see victory in, but yet he still finds joy because it's centered on Christ. It's not centered on, on the, the, the emotion. So then what's necessary for us to maintain conditions for conditions suitable for the growth of joy in our lives. Well, let me give you three things real quick. The first one is be captivated by the person of Jesus, right? If you want to, you want to develop a condition, right, a condition of joy in your life, a culture of joy in your life, then the first thing is you've got to be captivated by the person of Jesus. 
And what I mean by that is the fact that there is a difference between being captivated by Christ as a person compared to knowing Christ as the namesake of your religion. That's, there's a difference there, right? He's the namesake of my religion, and therefore I'm saved. But what I'm talking about is, no, this is a deeper, deeper desire, a deeper want to be captivated by the person of Jesus, to say, you know what, I'm all in. I'm, I, I'm all in. Whatever it is you have for me, I am all in, and I want to know more about you and who you are and, and how you want to operate in my life. Right? It's not about, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about, you know, the fact that he, he gives me things. Right? What Jesus has to offer in my life, that, these are great things. I'm just going to take it. No, we have to be to a point where I'm so captivated because I want to know him. This is the way Paul says it in Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. He says, the very credentials these people are waving around are something special. But then he says this, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash along with everything else I used to take credit for. So he's saying, you know, everything I have already is just nothing. All, whatever pedigree I come from, whether, you know, whether your pedigree is great or your pedigree is bad, you know, whatever you, how you were raised and the circumstances were great or the circumstances were bad. Paul's just saying, hey, you know what? All the stuff that was part of my life, I'm, I'm throwing it away. It's trash right? The stuff I used to take credit for, no longer. And it says, and why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of what? Knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant, dog dung, Scripture said it, right? I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I can embrace Christ. If I'm embracing Christ, then what does Christ do? He embraces you back, right? Then he goes on in verse 10 and says, I gave up all the inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally. It wasn't just, hey, yeah, Christ is great. I put him in a little box in the corner and sometimes we get to visit. Sometimes we go to church on Sunday. Sometimes we just, you know, kind of interact a little bit. No, Paul's saying, you know what? No, this is a daily routine for me. This is a daily life for me to be living with Christ in my life. I want to know him personally. I want to move beyond just coming to church, hearing all the stories, knowing all the, the information so that I get to a place where transformation takes place in my life. See, that should be our desire, that transformation takes place in our life. But you only find trans, trans, transformation through Christ, through Jesus himself. And so when we recognize this, I, I really think this is a game changer. It should be. Are you captivated with the person of Jesus or is Jesus just kind of there? 
We need to be captivated by him. We need to be in hot pursuit of him. We need to be connected to him. But see, I think that's why some of us are missing joy. Because we're not there. We're not truly engaged on that level. And because, right, Jesus is joy. And it's imperative that we just begin to say, okay, you know what? If I'm going to have mega joy that's promised or from what the, the Christ child is giving, then you know what? I got to make certain allotments, certain things in my life to change, to be able to be moving towards him in such a way that, you know what? Because he's joy and I, and I am planting and rooting myself in that joy, then you know what? I can overcome any circumstance that comes my way because I have joy of who Christ is in my life and his faithfulness to me. The second condition to maintain a suitable growth for joy in your life is get in God's presence daily. So it kind of moves, right, from, from being one who's captivated by Jesus. But at, when you're captivated by Jesus, then you know what? You, you start to go, you know what? No, I need to spend more time with God. I need to spend more time with the Lord, right? Because we'll look at some of these scriptures just real quick. God is the source of all joy. Okay? And since he's the source through his son Jesus, we should go to the source daily. Right? And when we do that, it'll help us become more captivated by the person of Jesus. Because we're spending more and more time with God, more and more time with the Word, more and more time with Jesus. And it develops this root system within us for joy so that when we do face circumstances and situations, we can, as Paul not as dire, not as desperate as Paul, we can still approach everything with joy. Listen to what the Bible says um, about how joy is the very essence of God's character. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 27 says, Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Do you hear that? Strength. Listen. When you make your personal private time with God, you are entering into his throne room of grace. Right? And in that throne room of grace, there is strength and joy to be found. Strength and joy. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Right? So if you're looking for joy, who should you be looking towards? Right? Not, not someone here, him up there. In your presence is the fullness of joy. When we spend time in our secret place with God, right? I believe that authentic mega joy can begin to grow in us. Again, so let's take David for an example. David's tell, David tells us what he discovered as a result of his time with God. Psalms 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. He says in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Right? You're taking refuge in him? You're seeking him daily? Guess what? You're going to find joy. It's just going to automatically follow you. 
And in Psalms uh, 4, 7, David writes this, You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvests of grain and a new wine. Think about that. Greater joy than that. I mean, people spend hours and hours, you know, planting and, and reaping or whatever, and all this harvest comes in. And he says, you know what? You give me even greater joy than that, God. When I'm in your presence, you give me such great joy that, you know, I'm even able to dance, you know, in my, my linen ephod or whatever before all the people. And, you know, because I have such joy for who the Lord is. And really, those are just a few scriptures that we can see this kind of joy that David describes. But that joy only comes from God, right? So if we want to experience this, this level of joy, let's take David as the example, right? We must fellowship with God daily, right? Through his word. We need to be praying. We need to be worshiping. We need to be meditating on his word, right? All of that will draw us closer to him and he will refresh our soul. He'll bring joy to our soul. Psalms 23 verses 1 through 3 says this. This is in the Passion Translation. Yahweh is my best friend and my shepherd. This is David talking, right? How did he get, how did Yahweh become his best friend? He spent time with him. He made sure he was in his presence. He's my shepherd. I always have more than enough he offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. He tracks me, or tr his tracks take me to an oasis of peace near the quiet brooks of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me the right path and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honor to his name. So being in God's presence daily allows God to pour his joy into us, right? Which then, you know, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? Which a lot of us don't do. But see, if we're spending time in the presence of God, if we're spending time with him, then that, that he's depositing joy into us, which then gives us the strength to count it all joy, despite our not-so-favorable circumstances. So when something happens on the job, something happens in your house, something happens with family members, you know what? Yes, you can navigate through the things that, that need to be navigated, but you can still walk with joy because Christ is the root of my joy. Which gets us to the last condition, the, the very last one, if you, if you want to uh, maintain this suitable growth for joy in your life, is just start serving others. Start serving others. Again, we find in, in Philippians, you know, Paul is just kind of giving us the evidence of what Christianity, about, you know, just serving others. But he says this in, in verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourself. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Which basically means when you are serving others, 
we are most like Jesus. We are most like Jesus. We experience great joy when we bring the reality of Jesus, Jesus' grace and his love, to those who need it. Right? To those who need it. And sometimes that person might be the person sitting right next to you. You know, it's not always the kid in Africa or, you know, whatever, where we think, oh, man, we got to... No, you might have someone sitting right next to you that, man, might need you to serve them in some way in order so that, you know what, when you get done, when you pour out or when you talk to them or you minister to them, then you know what? Serving them, you have this purpose. I can't tell you how many times, just even in my own life, there have been times when I've gotten opportunities to serve people and I walk away and I have more joy in my life at that moment because I recognize God, God used me. God gave me a purpose for the moment. Instead of, you know, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, you know, I love when God works that way sometimes where you're kind of like, ah, really? Ah, you know, I got to do that. Oh, I don't really want to do that. But then next thing you know, you know what? You're, you walk away and you're more blessed and you got joy because you know God used you. There, there, real quick, there was this lady who, who, who was, um, calling the church needing benevolence help for food. And um, I mean, like nonstop. And so I tried calling her and then she back and forth. And so she didn't have a car. And and I thought, okay, this is, you know, Fridays are my day off. And now I'm going to have to set up something to meet with her on a Friday. And and so uh, Julie, who's our administrator, um, said, hey, well, I'll come with you. Just, you know, make sure everything's on, on, on board and everything like that. So we, we get down to where she lives and, 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 and really it, it's not the, the greatest neighborhood in the world. And so I'm kind of like, ah, oh, man. And the whole way there, I'm just like, ah, why? It's my day off. I don't want to serve. You know, I don't want to be there for people. And talk about the Lord just nailing you. Right? So anyways, I get out of the car, we start, start talking, and um, something happened to where Julie forgot something, so Julie had to go back and get it. So I'm sitting there talking to this girl, and we're outside talking or whatever, and her mom's over there, and her brother's over there, and then her grandma's over in a car. And all of a sudden, her grandmother texts her and says, hey, is that the preacher? Can you bring him over here? Because I want him to pray for me. You know, and here I am like, ah, you know, whatever. So, you know, they say, hey, can, can you go over and talk to my grandma to pray? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm sitting there like, Lord, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely. But I know where my heart was at the moment. And so then when we start talking and we, whatever, and I'm telling you, we had such a, like, just a Holy Ghost prayer time of the needs that she had. Then we got to pray for the girl. Then we got to pray for the grandmother. I mean, the, uh, the mom. And then we got to pray for the brother. And I walked away where the Lord said, see, you always, man, don't, don't ever not be in a place of service to others. But I walked away with such joy that God would use me in the moment to, to be this, this connection in this relationship with God. And I wasn't meaning to say that, but, but, but what I'm trying to say is, you know what? We just get joy when we serve others. We become more like Jesus when we serve others. And so, you know, when we face circumstances, when we face some, some hard stuff sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of, you know what, what can I do to serve somebody? What can I do to help somebody out? 
And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will work inside your life in such a way that you walk away and you're just like, oh man, this is amazing. I'm so glad I did it. And joy begins to take place. Why? Because it was rooted in your relationship with, with Jesus. So Jesus is the root of our joy. And it's to be, our, that joy is supposed to be mega joy. Right? I'm sure when we get to heaven, it'll be mega joy for us. But see, you know what? It's not just supposed to be for heaven. It's supposed to be for today as well. You're like, ooh, Pastor Scott, I don't know. Well, then, you know what? Just take some of this stuff that I just told you and put it into practice. Begin to be captivated by Jesus. Get to know him. Pursue him, right? And then spend this quiet, secret place time with God. In his presence, there is joy. I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. And then, you know what? Look in a way to serve, right? Look for a way to serve others. And I'm telling you, I think when, when you begin to put those into place, it'll override the deterrence of our joy. And it will allow us to walk in joy. But see, Jesus is the one who brings joy. He's the one. He's the one. So when you face a circumstance, when you face some, a trial, when you face something in your life that's just not going your way, you're disappointed, you're just frustrated, you're just like, hey, you know what? Forget this. Begin to take a look at where, where what's the root of it? What's the root of your frustration? What's the root of your problem? And I, nine times out of 10, it's not Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's you, right? It's you. Because in Jesus, who is joy, we should, be, we should find joy. I got all this stuff going on around me, but you know what? I rejoice. Again, I, I say rejoice, even if you got to talk to your soul sometimes, right? You got to talk to yourself sometimes and just say, hey, like, you know, David did. So why so downcast, oh, my soul? Sometimes you just got to talk to it and say, hey, you know what? No, 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 no. I am captivated by Jesus. Jesus gives me joy. I am going to focus on my relationship with God. And you know what? In that fullness and that, and that, that ability of me being with him, I'm going to find joy in every circumstance, every situation. It is available. But we've got to do the work. Amen? We got to do the work. We can't just pass it out. Well, my, you know, it's, it's my husband's fault or it's my wife's fault or it's this person's fault. It's no, 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 no. Let's get back to the, the, the core of it and say, no, no, I need to, to check the root of my, my root system. And if my root system is not on Jesus, then I need to change. I need to get my focus back on him. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.